0: welcome to the new york film academy hour we're both back and we're super excited because we also have a guest making his second appearance to bring down all the glorious info on one of the best stars in america maybe ever marlon brando stay tuned to find out more welcome to popcorn talk featuring movie discussion news and interviews popcorn talk we talk movies Welcome to the New York Film Academy Hour. I'm Joelle. And I'm Pega, And we're so excited because Peter Rainer has graciously joined us back here in the studio to talk about maybe the most prolific legend, not prolific, but just great legends of American cinema, Uh, the guy who kind of changed it all. Um, If you're here with us the first time, um, you should definitely go back and check out Peter Rainer's first episode. It was amazing. We get all the information on his history with cinema and his writing history with cinema, and he's got a lot of great information in there. Um, But if you're coming back, get excited because today we're talking about the one, the only, Marlon Brando. Um, Peter Rainer's work has appeared in the LA Times and New York Magazine, and he's currently in film critic for the Christian Science Monitor and NPR's Film Week. His latest book is the essay collective Rainer on Film, 30 Years of Film Writing in Turbulent and Transformative Era. Welcome back.
1: Hi. Thanks, Joelle. Hi, Peggy. Hi.
0: Absolutely. We're so excited that you're here today. Um, I first was introduced to Marlon Brando in uh, when I was in high school doing I was concentrating in theater and they put on a streetcar named Desire for us uh, I was 14 and I remember just being completely floored because I'd never seen anyone take up the screen that way it was kind of because uh, my idols then were like you know uh, Brad Pitt and stuff and yeah. you know Phenomenal actor, but once you know the history, you're like you're just stealing from Brando. It's incredible. So when you brought up that you wanted to uh, talk about him today, I I couldn't have been more excited.
1: Yeah, no, I me too. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, so tell us a little bit about. um, We want to get for maybe for those who don't know Brando, what would be a good introduction to him? What 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 information should they know first?
1: Well, uh, I guess. If you want to start out with a real bang, then you would probably see A Streetcar Named Desire mm-hmm. or On the Waterfront. Uh, but, you know, he made about a dozen first-rate movies, I think, in his career. And, and in most of his performances, even in the bad movies, there's something really going on there. Mm-hmm. So you kind of can't go wrong. Well, you can if you see The Appaloosa or Night of the Following Day <laughs> or Moratori or some of those films. But... Um, but really, I mean, his, uh, his like you were saying when you when you opened up today, that um, there was really nobody at the time or since who, who really commanded the screen in that way. Uh, and he has so many imitators and so many, uh, you know, people who came after him who were so greatly influenced by him, you know, great actors like Pacino and De Niro and many others, that um, if you look at his films now, you may feel like well it, they're great but but I'm seeing a lot of this now in in actors of today mm-hmm. but you really aren't. I mean, not to that extent. And,
0: I read a line where Elliot Kazan said that he had to restage the play when they were on Broadway because the audience could not take their eyes off of him. And so he had to strategically yeah. place him so the audience could still see him and yet not be distracted from the action happening oh, on stage. Wow. Yeah, I
1: mean, he, he was so... I, and I wasn't alive when he did Streetcar in, in 47, uh, but I know people who saw that performance. Wow. And even earlier, There's a, he had a role in a, in a play called Truckline Café. And the critic Pauline Kael wrote about once that, that she had been taken to see that film uh, with with a boyfriend, and there's a scene in the play where he has an epileptic fit. Uh, I mean he, he just sort of he doesn't have, he just sort of comes apart, and she averted her eyes because she thought this is some actor on stage having a fit, you know for real, oh, wow. and the guy said, "No, no, watch this guy, he's acting." You know, I mean, he just had this uh, immediacy on stage that uh, most actors don't have at all. But if they do, it tends to be in the movies, you know. Mm-hmm. But but he never acted again, uh, uh, except for a little thing in, in Boston years later. He never acted on Broadway again after Streetcar, which is, which is quite amazing, uh, you know, given...
0: Was that, do you think, for a love of cinema or for a disdain for audiences?
1: Well, you know, he was such a complicated... Man, that that it, it really you can't say why he did certain things. Uh, I mean, I could I could read you from the the end of an essay that I wrote yes, on. Yes, please. Or, uh, I mean, just to give you a little taste of of, I did a big essay in my book, um, shameless plug on Brando uh, when he died, and mm-hmm. it was um, uh, you know what I wrote was. The, the, set, the 1970s in Hollywood, with all its creative ferment and risk-taking, was tailor-made for Brando. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, it was left to his spiritual progeny, Pacino and De Niro and the rest, to carry the torch. Last Tango in Paris was the last leading role Brando would ever play, by choice. Should we have been surprised? After all, he never set foot on stage again after his triumph in Streetcar in 1947 renunciation for Brando was a form of effrontery. He let it be known that acting, even at its highest level, was in his words, quote, an empty and useless profession. Mm. The gods must have had a good laugh when they created this man. He despised what he did, and no one did it better. So, mm. you know, that's the whole paradox of, of, of Brando, is that he he was so good at what he did, and yet, on some level, particularly as the years went on, he he seemed to have disdain for for the profession and yet when he wanted to to be a real actor even in those years where he claimed he didn't want to be uh, he he put everything into these roles um, there's a very interesting uh, anecdote that I heard from um, uh, a colleague of mine I actually directed him in, in what was essentially the last film he ever made but it wasn't released he did a mm-hmm. voiceover for an animated film um uh, i 've written it down somewhere, but anyway it was it was a, he played an old dowager cat yeah. and um so so my friend you know drove to his his palatial home with all the sound equipment and everything and gets ushered in and and there 's Brando made up. To look like a cat with with whiskers and rouge and and a, and a scarf and the hair and everything, you know, Now he didn't have to do any of this. It was a voiceover,
2: sure. You know,
1: and and he wasn't asked to do that. So, you know, when you hear a story like that, you think, well, on some level, he must have cared, wow. you know, to to get in character like that. Um. So it. it bottom line is, he was extremely complicated uh, in terms of how he approached acting, and what he says isn't necessarily you know, what he what he did. There's a wonderful documentary that came out uh, a year or two ago called Listen to Me, Marlon. And um, they found uh, old uh, cassette tapes, audio cassettes, that he made often, you know, just in the middle of the night, he would just sort of ramble on in stream of consciousness and stuff, over the years, about himself, his acting, and everything like that. And uh, they put it together as a documentary uh, with his voiceover and clips... And it's, it's really fascinating, you know, because he, he cared a great deal more about, about a lot of things, mm-hmm. including acting, than he let mm-hmm. on in public.
0: I'm going to definitely check the documentary out because I, I want to know more about Brando, the person. Peggy, you right. just kind of got into Brando.
2: I just recently got oh, into okay. Brando. I'm like, well, we're doing you. a show on Brando. Okay, I'm going to start my research. I saw Godfather for the first time. Really? A week ago. Wow.
1: <laughs> What's next, E.T.? Right yeah. Right <laughs> now
2: I've seen E.T. Okay. Um, but it was... He's so captivating. Mm. He's just yeah. i was so drawn. Like I've never, it's been a while since I've been so drawn to a character or a person. And then I started watching A Streetcar Named Desire yes. and even that I was like, wow, he was so good looking back then. We actually pulled maybe yeah. one of the
0: most famous Wait. clips from A Streetcar Named Desire. Um, and I want to take a look at this just because I think that when people think of Marlon Brando, this is the first image they mm-hmm. kind of get. This is his sort of introduction to America. Yes.
2: Hey, shut up! <laughs> you
0: put that howling down there and go to bed. You want to I want my clothes. <laughs> uh, <Martian bureau>, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're having a bit of a technical difficulty. Uh, yeah, Commercial decided <laughs> that yeah. it needed to uh, play in the middle. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> YouTube <laughs> likes to play with our emotions sometimes. <laughs> Let's try again. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, shut up!
2: You put that howling down there and go to bed. Yes, I want my clothes out here. You shut up! You gotta get the law, you You can't beat on a woman
0: and then call her back because she ain't gonna come. You're gonna have a bait. Listen, you're gonna. I'll say haul you in and turn a foul.
2: You (laughs) stinker. Hey, Stella!
0: never been more haunted by a performance than this woman coming down to him. It's so unnerving. Yeah, she's like in
1: a trance. Yeah. It's the
0: most unnerving thing. Mm-hmm. it's a great use of her light too coming in and out of shadows (laughs) using this great really long staircase I love this scene. At one point, you're like, it's it's horrible. It's awful. are like, it's kind of romantic. And then you're like, no, it's definitely abusive. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it, I feel like that's that's great cinema, the place that can take you uh, in just a few seconds to a bunch of different emotional points. Do you remember your first time watching this film?
1: Uh, it was in high school, and, you know, it was made a big impression. Yeah. Uh, the When he cries out for Stella, that that's so, so I, I could. Kind of graphic that uh, it sort of entered the the main... They, there was a, a an opera of Streetcar that was um, wow. done by Andre Previn that I saw um, at um, Dorothy Chandler years ago. And before the opera, they had outside a a Hey Stella competition. Oh, no. <laughs> and they had like people come up and they'd go, Hey, Stella, everyone would do women too, you know. And then they would give a prize to whoever. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's... But it's you know it it sort of changed the whole way that people thought about acting uh, mm-hmm. what brando did and um he he studied with stella adler mm-hmm. who who studied you know who who uh, did the stanislavski method which was a form of method acting but it wasn't the Strasbourg institute and and there was a lot of bad blood between Brando and Lee Strasberg he hated Strasberg he thought he took <laughs> too much credit for everything and, and yeah. you know and, and Stella Adler was very protective
0: both kind of big personalities right I yeah. got
1: a letter once from Stella Adler uh, you know she had an acting school out here yeah. and uh, when I wrote about Brando in the film The Freshman and it was a very touching letter because she said there was no one who was more gifted than he was you uh, know right. but you know she kind of wondered what happened to him and and you know why he didn't really follow through on 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 all of the greatness that he that he had in him. Uh but look, he gave many great performances right up until the mid 70s, mm-hmm. you know, when he kind of dropped out again. Uh so and some of the best performances that he gave are are um are not well known at all. They're not Streetcar, they're not on the waterfront, they're not Last Tango. There, you know, reflections in a golden eye, mm. um, burn, the nightcomers, films like that that not many people have seen. Mm. Uh, he played George Lincoln Rockwell, uh, the head of the American Nazi Party in Roots Two uh, on television. You know, these are all amazing, amazing performances. Um, but you know, when I first, I think the first Brando film I saw was One-Eyed Jacks. Wow. I saw it when I was nine or ten years old uh, on a ship. I was with my parents going on a trip, and they showed it as one of the movies. And, and the, the, they showed, you know, The Absent Minded Professor and Son of Flubber and all these movies. And then there's this very dark, methody Western, One Eye Jack <laughs> that's there, that was directed by Brando. It was the only oh, film, I wasn't aware of that. Only film yeah. he ever directed. He took it over from Stanley Kubrick, uh, who started and didn't work out, so then he ended up directing it.
0: Is this the same time Kubrick is doing his uh, World War One trench warfare movie? Oh, my gosh.
1: Paths of Glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was um, It was a little bit after that. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, he... Um, uh, but, you know, Kubrick was still working in Hollywood at that point, mm-hmm. and, you know, in Spartacus. and But uh, but it's an amazing film, actually, One-Eyed Jacks. He was a marvelous director. Apparently, he was... Not easy to work with with the producers. <laughs> I was and, say,
2: you know, do we have any? Yeah, the
1: the stories? budget, and he you know he shot all this millions of feet of film, and you know I mean wow. I, I don't know if I would want to be a producer of of a film that Brando directed, but in the end he places you know Kid Rio, this gunslinger, and um, it was shot up around Monterey, so it's one of the few westerns where you can actually see you know the ocean, and it's it's quite an amazing movie. And Carl Malden, who who was in Streetcar. Uh, was in it as uh you know sort of a, a good guy turned bad guy sheriff and and it's it's it 's quite a remarkable film
0: I wanted to ask you about Shricar uh now as you mentioned with the seller competitions it 's got huge lasting power did it have that same impact when it first came out oh
1: yeah 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 well, first of all, it was a huge success on broadway mm. it was it was a you know sold out he could have played it forever and uh and and everyone who 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 was had any ideas about being an actor or or director of actors saw that show um and so when he did it on film you know four or five years later it was already you know very very uh powerful and and people knew but but it was great that you could have that on film because it really bugs me that all these legendary performances on stage just kind of Disappear, mm-hmm. you know they're they're not even to this day lo- recorded very much. Mm-hmm. So so you have to sort of take everybody's word for it. That's
0: true. Um, um, I also yeah. wanted to ask you the character that uh, Brando plays in this movie, Kowalski. No. Is this is really awful <laughs> kind so of mean. guy, and yet he's one of the most celebrated characters in film history and we've seen this with like Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs or Brian Cranston as Walter White in Breaking Bad and what do you think makes these horrible people kind of so likable so like- or so wh- why do we crave seeing these kinds of men on our screens
1: well, part of it's just human nature. I mean, you know, there is a kind of tropism towards, uh, you know, bad boys,
2: mm.
1: evil. You know, I mean, it's, it's more it's more interesting on film than people <laughs> who are, like, really good, bland. It's very hard to play just kind of, you know, good. Mm. Uh, Tom Hanks can do it uh, and a few other actors. But it, it's very hard to, to, to play good, interestingly. Right. Um, but But, you know, but Stanley Kowalski is not... There are there are levels of of I wouldn't say that he's you know Hannibal Lecter mm. he he just he he is a uh, he's a, he's a brute and uh, but but Vivian Lee the Blanche Dubois character in, in a sense is sort of driving him on I mean they they drive each other crazy uh, and and it's this sort of hot house environment mm-hmm. literally you know that that sets everyone off in that movie and in, in that play and 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 I think it's it's Brando's vulnerability in all of these roles that is the saving grace that, that I think makes him not just a pure villain in a lot of mm-hmm. these instances because you can see what, what his conflicts and anger and rage come out of. So you don't have to endorse the way he behaves, to under, but you know you have to understand it. And I think it's that depth of understanding that he gives you that is so extraordinary in his best performances. It's 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 really the 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 acting equivalent of of the insight of a great novelist mm-hmm. into character. Most actors, if they're good, they just give you one level and that's it. You know, you're angry, you're sad, you play one level. If you're a very good actor, you can sometimes mix it up. You're angry, but there's a level of sadness underneath it. Brando gives you like five levels. <laughs> they're just all going on at once, and and it, it, it's so rich and and so. Uh, You know, that's why it's very hard to describe what he does uh, as an actor um, without really uh, becoming incredibly complex about the emotions that are on the screen. Mm
0: -hmm. Let's take from one of his earliest, most well-known works to one of his later least-known works, Reflections in a Golden Eye, um, where he's still kind of playing this alpha male, but... um, with something that really surprised me in 1967, he's playing a, a gay man, and especially for someone of uh, Brando's stature, I know he was kind of going through his toxic phase at, at this point. Um, but to take on the role and to do it with such grace and um, honesty, it was kind of—it's a stunning portrayal.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a, an amazing performance in a really neglected movie. And when he died, it was criminally not mentioned very much, even mm-hmm. in the Obits.
0: Let's take a real quick look at this clip, because it's it's an incredible performance. For those of you that are just listening, uh... There's not a lot of dialogue here. We just have Brando looking at himself in a mirror. And, and a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and you're definitely going to want to... It's okay. Um, We're being sabotaged
1: done. by you. Should I should you <laughs> set it up at all? Or uh, Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Set it up for us. Yeah, I mean, I actually have a, sa- a section on this that I wrote about as well. Um,
0: there we go. Kay. All right.
2: Ready. Yep.
0: All right. Uh, why don't you set it up for us?
1: Uh, Brando plays a... Um, uh, Major Penderton, who's a, 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 a military man on a southern uh, army base, um, and it's based on a Carson McCullers novel. He... Uh, maybe I should just read a quick thing about yeah, it. from go for Okay. It. Brando could be equally eloquent in roles in which the character's turmoil was deeply, spookily submerged. As Major Penderton in John Huston's Reflections in a Golden Eye, adapted from Carson McCullers' novel, he played a man whose homosexuality is so repressed that it has become an incubus. Trailing the handsome soldier on whom he's fixated, played by Robert Forrester, the major might be sleepwalking. The uncomprehending thrill um, of this brief, soft pursuit has placed him in a trance. Near the end, when he looks into a mirror and rubs cold cream onto his waxy, immobile face, in expectation of his suitor's arrival, the self-hypnosis is horrifyingly complete. So that's a little bit of a background to this guy
0: Yep. All right, let's take a look at Brenda performing this. She's so much Brad Pitt in this performance. Oh, totally, right? That's all I see right now. <laughs> this kind of cocky swagger, uh, talking yourself into believing you're something you're uh-huh. not. The stiffness—it's cr- creepy as hell.
1: Yeah, no, he's—he's <laughs> he's someone who's completely, you know. Blocked by his his repressions, he he just can't deal with with how he feels in that setting. It was it was actually sort of a groundbreaking move, or would have been if anyone had seen it. It was directed by John Huston, yeah. who's no slouch, you know, no. Maltese Falcon, African Queen, yeah. uh, you name it. Um, Charge of Sierra Madre it was it, it was a. An extre- Elizabeth Taylor plays his wife mm-hmm. Brian Keith gives a marvelous performance in it uh, Julie Harris great mostly stage actress uh, was in it as well it was um, a very neglected film <laughs>
2: say, um, did this film have any social implications outside of cinema um,
1: well I think subsequently there were gay rights groups that felt that this was a very good movie you know because it It broke a lot of boundaries at the time when, when, you know, movies were being made, you know, Dr. Doolittle. And, you know, I mean, there just wasn't a whole lot of stuff like this happening in film. And uh, But because it wasn't a commercial success, it became a sort of underground Mm -hmm. uh, hit over the years as opposed to having any real effect at that
2: time. Random himself, wasn't he... um... What do you call it? An activist? Wasn't he sort of involved? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah, he rejected uh,
0: an Oscar because uh, he felt that the First Nation people were not being respected within cinema. Um, and he had this great moment where he sent a representative up in his honor (laughs) basically to accept his honor, um, which was violently at the Oscars. It was just, if you guys watch the clip, I love watching old Oscar clips. I live for the Oscars. Um, but the the reaction from the crowd is just stunningly loud booze. It felt like it was in Paris. Have you ever seen things in Paris? If they don't like it, they're very vocal about it. Uh, it was like that. And I had never seen anything like that in America before.
1: Yeah, it was, um... Uh, he sent this woman who, who went by the name Sashine Littlefeather uh, up to the podium to accept his Oscar for the Godfather uh, and she read a prepared statement that he made um, you know attacking Hollywood Ford's treatment of, of Native Americans and and wow, uh love that. and apparently you know John Wayne had to be restrained in, in the <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and of, you know, I mean, it created a lot of issues, but it was
1: so brando to do something like yes. that. You know, I mean, the only other actor I think who ever rejected an Oscar uh, was George C. Scott for mm-hmm. Patton. They didn't believe that uh, that acting should be um, a, a competition, wow. but Brando, you know, at that point figured, you know, screw it, but I want to make a statement, so that's what he did. Um, mm. He and used
2: that platform to just get sure his did. voice yeah,
1: out. Yeah, he, he was. Uh, you know i don't want to overscale what his activism was i think certainly by hollywood standards and at that time it was it was pretty high he he was very active in the civil rights movement he marched with dr king he uh he also was very active you know in the native american movement he wanted to make a movie of uh, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, mm-hmm. uh, which, um, with Gillo Pontecorvo, who was the great director who did Battle of Algiers and directed wow. Brando in, in Burn, which is a sort of anti-slavery mm-hmm. epic. Um, that didn't happen with Brando, but, but he, he, he was very active uh, for much of his uh, you know, senior life um, in these causes. Uh, but it is a phenomenon among actors, especially, that they feel like at a certain point they're not real men if all they do is play act Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. that that they have to get involved in some social cause or political cause it's much more true of of men i think than of Mm -hmm. of actresses um but uh you know you know look at redford and Clooney, and a lot of these guys feel like they're not really contributing if they're just quote play acting Sean is Sean something- Penn, Leonardo
0: DiCaprio yes. have both gone down that path as well. Right.
1: You know, so I think it it is a phenomenon that 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 hits you know actors of a certain bent. And and it was certainly true with Brando with his disdain for acting that was open, um, you know, to, to 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 involve himself in these causes.
0: I wanted to ask you, you I hadn't heard of the film until you brought it to the New York Film Academy. Um, what was it about this film that you wanted to share with students that you wanted to pass on to Reflections
1: of Golden Eye. Yeah. Well, I just you know it's funny. I I debated whether showing this or on the waterfront mm. um, because I know a lot of students haven't seen that many of Brando's films in general, and I thought if you show Reflections in the Golden Eye, it's kind of like teaching quantum physics before you've taught <laughs> <edition>. <laughs> algebra. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know. Um, uh, but I, I I don't know. I just thought it was. I wanted to show a film that I th- that I really respected for his performance that wasn't. You know, well known. You can always see on the waterfront and streetcar, but a film like this, I think you have to be directed. You have to be directed to. You have to be shown okay. to watch it. So that's kind of why I did it. Also, I had done a documentary on John Huston years ago for uh, the A and E Biography series. Oh, wow! So I knew a lot about Houston and the background of the film.
0: Great. We you mentioned waterfront. Let's just dive right into yeah. this. this. Is <laughs> where he, uh, Brando wins his first Oscar. For this role, this role, but not a streetcar. What do you think? Mate? Was it a typical Oscar thing where they're like, eh, now you've earned it and we can bestow this award on you? Or was there something maybe more advanced? It had he grown a lot in his acting since A Streetcar uh, to on the waterfront?
1: No, I, well, it's just, you know, I can never quite figure out the Oscars, <laughs> why they do what they do. And, and you probably, you know, will... Um, Lower your IQ if you think too much in those terms. (laughs) Uh, Streetcar, he he lost to Humphrey Bogart in The African Queen. Mm. And, you know, so maybe that was considered a kind of body of work performance for Bogart. It was offbeat, not in character. Uh, Maybe they thought that Brando had already done all the work on stage, so why honor somebody for a performance that was essentially already, you know, full by the time it came to the Mm -hmm. screen? Maybe they were thinking that way. I don't know. But, um, you know, and he was a rebel when he when he came to Hollywood. It was still very much ruled by Hedda Hopper and Luella Parsons and all these gossip columnists. They really wielded a lot of power. Mm -hmm. And here comes Brando, who doesn't kowtow to any of these people. So they went after him. All these columnists, you know, were attacking him. He didn't care, and it turns out nobody else cared either, and that was the end of them. <laughs> uh, you know, he would he would I, something I, an anecdote I can't say on the air, but I mean, he would, he's, <laughs> you know he would he would show up at parties with a monkey on his shoulder, and and oh, uh, he says I'm only here because my monkey wants to get dot dot dot. Um, wow! You know, I mean, he
0: was—he <laughs> was just completely
1: didn't play by any of the rules, and and uh, so that alienated the Hollywood establishment. You know, f- until they sort of figured out that there's more to this, and is we bet Brando- we better join his party.
0: Yeah, is Brando Hollywood's first bad boy? Ooh, uh, sounds
1: like it. Well, Mitchum actually—I mean, Robert Mitchum—who's a you know undeservedly i mean he's a great actor not not in brando's class but but gave some marvelous performances he was you know he got busted for pot in the forties mm. he spent he had a little jail time you know i mean he was he was he didn't really. There's a wonderful uh, biography of him, and the the, the title is called "Baby, I Don't Care." You know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, when I was picking out scenes from On the Waterfront, because I knew we were gonna have a second to talk about it, I, I went back and forth. Uh, a lot of people do that. I could have been a contender. Uh, speech, which Contender. is great. Contender. Contender. Right. Exactly. Uh, but I, I like this scene. And this oh yeah, me love too. This is the glove improv yeah. scene. Um, it is so affectionate and so sweet. Um, and if you haven't seen On the Waterfront, or maybe you're just not uh, familiar with the history of the film, the, her glove was not supposed to fall. He wasn't supposed to pick it up. This is an improvised moment. And I think that it highlights uh, what a great actor Brando was. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a look.
2: he loved joey little kids to the old rummies did you know him very well
1: well you know he got around
2: what did that man mean just oh, now? No, don't he's...
1: pay no attention to him he's drunk he's falling down everything he's just a jew that hangs around the neighborhood don't pay no attention i'd better go now you don't have to be afraid of me i'm not gonna bite you I guess they don't let you walk with fellas where you've been, huh? Mm-hmm.
2: You know how the sisters are.
1: Yeah. Are you training to be a nun?
2: It's just a regular college.
1: What's
0: it?
2: It's run by the, the sisters of St. Anne. Where is that? It's
0: in Terrytown. just listening. She's oh, no. reaching for her glove, and he's like, no, I got this now. <laughs> he completely takes I don't like over the scene. Let
1: the camera, yeah, let the camera roll. How often do you get in here?
2: I haven't been here since last Christmas. We were going to have a Thanksgiving party.
1: (laughs) That's nice. What do you do do up there? Just, what, study? I
0: want to be a teacher. I think this Did goes back to what you were saying Peter about him having know. five different levels in a scene I you him. know yeah. this conversation Charlie could just be guy. the conversation there's a lot of, of information of being given out here but him taking the glove him trying me. it on and then being just so comfortable in it uh, I think it, it brings a lot to the scene that wasn't even written and uh, I know a lot of actors say that that's always their goal but it's, it's really hard to accomplish
1: yeah I mean he he could just act in the moment um, the, the drop love scene was a bit was was an accident mm-hmm. and uh and you can see him reaching for the glove and then he takes it and puts it on his hand and starts you know doing I this
2: love that.
1: and uh it um it, it's just a great scene there, there are two great scenes that he has with her this is one of them and mm-hmm. another is when when they're in a bar and he he you know he's this this broken down boxer who threw a fight you know he could have been a contender his brother rod steiger is in with the mob and the mob is taking care of brando as long as he plays plays ball with them on the waterfront and then when he rebels against johnny friendly the lee j cobb mr big uh runs into major trouble um and it's it's such a great performance that i mean there's there's just no words uh but I'll try anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: what well, makes it a great performance?
1: Well, these these levels. I mean, the fact mm-hmm. that that he's. I mean, even in that scene, you can see every he's. You know, he's protective in many different ways. He's. You know, when he talks about later on, you know, he says, "I remember seeing you in school. You wore braces and you had your braids, and he says you were a real mess." And. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know and, and look even Reese Saint is extraordinary in that scene too she's mm-hmm. just a marvelous marvelous actress she won the Oscar as did Brando for this movie it was I think her first movie
0: wow, wow. yeah
1: I mean she'd done stage work but I believe it was her first film
0: It's incredible
1: uh, and um, you know Ilya Kazan uh, directed Streetcar mm-hmm. and On the Waterfront and, uh, and and then Viva Zapata which was before there's another film that he did uh, with Kazan, and and, and it just—I'm no actor, but when you see this movie, it kind of makes—it's like when you see a stare dancing, you kind of want to dance. You <laughs> yeah, know,
0: absolutely. It's
1: like you just feel like this is the best way to express your emotion is somehow to do it through a character that allows you this entire range of feeling. Uh, and the part was so well written that that it could accommodate everything that he had to give. As an actor, which, which, is, which is rare. The problem with, with most great actors in the movies is that the roles aren't there for them to be as great as they can be. Mm-hmm. And so you end up saying, mm-hmm. well, gee, that was really good. Gee, I wish, you know. But there are some actors like Brando and Waterfront and Streetcar and Last Tango or Olivier and the Shakespeare films or The Entertainer uh, where you just see the, the art raised to its highest level. Um, Olivier is the only actor I would put in Brando's stratosphere, mm. and a very different kind of actor. Mm. But you know, people talk about Brando. A lot. Of his detractors will say, "I just you know torn t shirt, mumbler. Uh, oh, wow. You know, he he he. Uh, you know, he, he had no range. No range. <laughs> I mean, look at The Godfather. Look at Reflections in a Golden Eye. Look at Streetcar. Look at this." Look at, you know, so many of the films that he did. He he played Mark Antony in Julius Caesar. Yes, you did, on yeah. film. You know, Friends yeah. Romans Countrymen. Mm-hmm. He's really good in that film. You know? And and um uh, you know, you talk about versatility. Brando could be Stanley Kowalski and he could be Mark Antony. Does anyone really want to see John Gielgud as Stanley Kowalski? No. <laughs> no. no.
0: I wanted to ask you... uh, I feel like Brando... I'm I'm not sure how he went about selecting his roles, but they always seemed to have the pulse on what was going on in the world at the time. Um, Terry Malloy is, you know, down on his luck, uh, trying to kind of come back after this long, hard fight. What do you think... uh, Do you know how he picked his roles, and and why do you think they kind of resonated with moviegoers?
1: I think at least initially he had a an instinct for for roles that really captured the strongest aspects of who he was and that meant the, you know a certain maverick outlaw quality uh, a subversive a subversiveness in the role itself mm. um whether he designed it that way or not i don't know but he did become kind of the icon for the 50s misfit the the rebel you know without a cause uh, James Dean, who was in The Rebel Without a Cause, was a huge admirer of Brando's and, and, and a, 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 a fanboy and, and did everything he could to try to act like Brando and, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, he was relentless. And, and um, but, but Brando was really, I think, part of that whole generation in the 50s that was sort of caught between Korea and Vietnam and the Eisenhower mm-hmm. era, Breaking out of a lot of, of of conventional strictures of American life, and 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 sort of moving to the margins, um, and and you see what came of that in in, in the late sixties and seventies, in the generation uh, of roles played by you know Pacino and Brando and Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. you know, in Five Easy Pieces and and uh, you know Dennis Hopper and Easy, all of those characters, I think, come out of. That, that sort of, you know, Brando essence from the 50s. Um, and, but you couldn't sustain it into the 60s because society had changed. And in movie terms, things have became much more conventional. And in my opinion, the 60s is probably the blandest era of for American film. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... The studios became very corporatized and they didn't really want to take the kind of chances. And Brando himself, I think, to some extent lost interest, partly because the roles weren't there. Mm-hmm. Although I do think that, you know, as I mentioned in my book, that um, it, would be to, it, it would romanticize Brando's career to say, as many have, that, that Hollywood done him wrong. You know that he's another another trash genius like Orson Welles or yeah. Buster Keaton, you know, who 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 was sort of ruined by the by the system, and because he could have, anyone would have written a role for him, anyone would have directed him in something if if he had just asked. And there were actors like Burt Lancaster in in the sixties, uh, who who left Hollywood uh, on occasion to to make films in Europe. Uh, Burt Lancaster worked with Lucino Visconti in *The Leopard*, uh, which was a great performance. And you know there were actors who who went overseas to do the kind of work they felt they couldn't do in Hollywood. And Brando could have done that in in a second. Mm-hmm. David Lean, I interviewed David Lean once, and and he desperately wanted to work with Brando. He was even wanted to cast him as Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know Visconti wanted to to make a, a film of Proust's of, uh, uh, remembrance of things past with, with Brando there's no one who wouldn't have made a movie with him uh, among the great auteurs in Europe Fellini he didn't want to hmm.
2: did Brando do a lot of on camera interviews in his
1: day? He did some. He, he didn't do a whole lot. He did do some talk shows. There's an okay. infamous one that he did with Larry King um, <laughs> towards the end of his career. Uh, uh, I forget what the occasion was, but it was... And when he did talk, do, do interviews, it was almost never about acting. He really didn't want to talk about acting. He would talk about Native Americans or civil rights oh, or, wow. or, you know, that kind of thing. He wrote an autobiography. Um, you know, many tons of books were written about him. Uh, some very good ones including one by Richard Schickel but uh but he he almost never gave interviews where he talked about what he did as an actor he just didn't want to go there uh but he did um i mean the the interview with Larry King was was really infamous uh, because he, he ends up planning a big kiss on Larry King. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, the two of them got along famously, but I, I don't know what you would call it. It was sort of performance art. Uh, John Travolta did a very funny um, takeoff on that interview playing Brando uh, on Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah.
0: You know. I love it. i yeah, look that up. Well, let's close out with uh, a film where I think uh, maybe not everyone knows, but it was sort of. A defining moment for Brando's career, which is the wild one. Um, as you mentioned, Rebel Without a Cause. This is the leather jacket, the greaser style motorcycle gangs. This is a nineteen fifty-four film by Laszlo Benedek. Is this how you say his yeah. last name? Benedek? Um, and Brando plays the quintessential bad boy, and it's kind of amazing. Let's take a really quick look. That's Lee Marvin. He's fabulous. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. You know, you do look pale. You've been taking care of yourself?
1: You've been staying out too late at night.
2: <laughs> That's mine, you know, take it off. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. That's better, Johnny. And that's all the clip we need to see you know, because I that verbal exchange right there is a club split perfection. Just, I love, uh... There, there's just no falseness in the, don't do that. Yeah. It's, just, it's just, that one little line says so much to me about this character, Johnny Str- Strabler. Um, he, he is confident, he is really not concerned with the ways of other people, and, you know, don't touch his bike stuff.
1: Yeah, well, there's a famous line in this movie where he says, "What are you rebelling against?" And he says, "What do you got?" <laughs> you know. Uh, but Brando was a master of underplaying. People always think, you know, Stella, but, but you know, like like in that scene, he says, "You know, don't do that." I mean, just think of how many actors would have said, "Don't do that," right? You know, I mean, he he totally underplays it. There's the the the, the most famous scene in in in, uh, in Waterfront is is um, when he's in the back seat of the cab with Rod Steiger. And his brother pulls out a gun trying to, you know, get Brando to, to play ball with the mob boss. And, and Brando just looks at, you know, and goes, you know, wow. I mean, he, when he pulls the gun out, he just goes, wow. And that just speaks volumes, the way he reads that line. Only a great actor would have would have underplayed it in that way. It's like, you know, I'm so disappointed in you, my brother. How could you, you know, you I mean, whoa, it's come to this. You know, it's beyond being angry. It's just, it's like... You know,
0: just belief almost flummox.
1: Yeah. yeah, but uh, it, it, and he does that over and over again uh, as an actor. The Godfather. You know, he could have played it as a really you know uh, out there mob chieftain. You know, like, but he doesn't. He plays it. You know, and and Always you mentioned so Peg. Do you know how old he was when he was <laughs> the play it's Like
2: forty eight or something. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, he was and he had to and he was he was box office poison when he made that movie he had to essentially audition for it
2: oh wow you know
1: coppola uh (laughs) made it look like it was wasn't a screen test but it really was
0: Just showed up to his house with like one of the first handheld cameras and did it in his front lawn (laughs) and brando
1: you know he slicked his hair back he put cotton in his cheeks He, he suddenly became this this italian patriarch uh and he said it was the most amazing thing you know he said his voice he used that voice he said well he had been shot in the throat so he would sound like this you know he had it all down um and then, the, and then, shortly after, he did Last Tango in Paris, which is maybe his greatest performance. And uh, uh, you know, again, I mean, it was that movie more than any of the others drew so much on his own life and mm-hmm. and uh, some of the monologues in it drew from his painful uh, childhood and, and 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 young adulthood. And that may be one reason why he he even says it as much in his autobiography that he sort of stopped really. Acting for real after that, you know, and except in small roles, because he he felt it took too much out of him. It was such a a, a, a uh, spiritual excavation mm-hmm. to do that movie that he just said, "I I don't need this," you know. And uh, uh, but you know, he he was always watchable, always watchable, even in the worst movies he was in. You know, he's magnetically awful, you know, he's <laughs> you know, he's but it's just there's always something going on with him. And uh, and, and that's that's a real rarity.
0: We had a good friend in here last week talking about her early days with Robin Williams when he was just improvising. Oh. And she would say that he would go up and he would either be the most hilarious thing ever seen or it was a complete and total bomb. And I feel like this is a trait we see with a lot of great actors where what makes them great is their strong choices and maybe those choices work and maybe they don't but the dedication and, and belief and work put into those decisions uh, elevates their performance to the point where at the very least you want to watch them.
1: Yeah, I you know, it's it's my great regret that I never actually met Brando. I've met a lot of movie stars over the years but um, it never worked out for me to meet him not that he was that accessible mm-hmm. so, you know, but yeah, all of, I mean, you mentioned Robin Williams. I, I was at an improv club years ago uh, and he just showed up for it. Wow. You know, he wasn't even part of the improv group. He just liked to work out like you go to the gym, you know. And so uh, someone made a suggestion from the audience. And it wasn't a plant because it was a friend of mine. He said, pretend you're uh, a poet from India. Uh, you know, just read a poem or something. So he, he on the spot improvises this this Hindu epic poem in rhyming couplets.
0: Wow. And it was it was so
1: amazing that on some level it wasn't funny because it's like, where did this come <laughs> yeah. from? You know. So, I mean, there are some, some performers who are just in another stratosphere. And, uh, and, and, and I don't think it's, it's anything against Brando to say that he couldn't really explain how he did what he did. He shouldn't be expected to. Mm-hmm. You know, De Niro is, is notoriously inarticulate. Uh, it's what they do that counts, not how,
0: how they, they got, got, there. got
1: there and what they say.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for shedding this amazing light on uh, an incredible performer. Um, You guys, if you're interested, and you should be, in reading more of Mr. Rainer's work, please check out his uh, book, uh, Rainer on Film, 30 Years of Film Writing in a Turbulent and Transformative Era. Uh, These essays are they're just incredible guys. Um, you can buy the book on Amazon.com um, if you want to learn a little bit more about his style, um, check out his Rotten Tomatoes page. Where he's reviewed maybe every movie released in like the last I see 20 300 years. 300 movies a
1: year. It's an yeah.
0: incredible uh, uh, stack of knowledge and and deep dives into films um, and I, I highly encourage you to check out his work he's got a very unique perspective um, and, and great especially in this world where everyone seems to be reviewing films well, nowadays you. so <laughs> thank you once yeah. again for joining us really my pleasure as always you. thank you Guys, we'll be right back here in studio next week with another super amazing guest. Um, hopefully we can tweet you guys out about it um, before next week. But until that time, I've been Joel Smith. And I'm Pega, And we will see you guys here next time on the New York Film Academy Hour. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye. <laughs> Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in.